we're back with another episode of No That Really Happened. If you're new here, welcome. This is a podcast of stories from history that you wouldn't believe if we didn't have the documentation. I'm your host, Joey Estavagersi, and I'm supposed to go to this Halloween party and they want me to know something called the Time Warp? Uh, how does that start again? It's a jump to the left? As you may have guessed, this is the Halloween episode, which is really just another excuse to tell you weird stories about dead people. Joining me today is my friend, attorney Jonathan Batchelor. The fact that he's an attorney is not as relevant as the fact that he used to be Mormon. You'll see later. Oh, I should stop squeaking around in this chair. You can switch to another chair if you want, if that one's squeaky. The squeaks could be ghosts. That's it's what a this, haunted podcast. This is the haunted episode, you guys. Welcome to Halloween season, everyone. I hope you're excited for this episode that we've definitely never recorded before. Unfortunately, the first recording of this, the first attempt to record this was haunted and cursed and uh, fell to a hex. So we're, we're going <laughs> to do it again. So this is our attempt to uh, lift that curse, basically. Mm. A witch gave us three goals, not goals, three mm. Quests. Quests, sure. Oh, which gave us three quests that we had to... Um, no, that's not the word I'm thinking of either. Not qualifications. Tasks, maybe? This is terrible. I should not be allowed on the air. It'll come to me. Give me a second. Requirements. A witch gave us three requirements for this episode in order to lift the curse from the last one. And so we're going to meet those today, obviously, to make sure that we don't get followed by this curse for the rest of our lives. Um, Jonathan, do you remember what those requirements are? No, I have no... No, no recollection. Play in the space with me. <laughs> I will, but I just don't know. I think I do remember one of them though was that you had to tell a story about a parrot that you visited. A uh, parrot. Wow. Um, I do you remember visiting. A I parrot? did visit a parrot. Yeah. Has anybody been to? I can't remember what it's called. Something perch. Uh, perch. It's a bar in Chandler. No. Uh, friends took me there. There are parrots and. Uh, it's very interesting. The they're they're uh, rescue parrots, and the number one thing that will strike you if you go visit these parrots and you're not in, uh, initiated into the ways of parrot parroting is uh, I was not. Parrots are very large. Yeah. I did not. They're big birds. Yeah, uh, I had not realized that. Do anything scary? They threaten you? Are you okay? No, no. They I did they? I mean, I think they would have, but they were. It was a hot day, so they were just chilling and they did not talk they were not none of them were talking and none of them were interested in being in, being bothered so i just stayed away from them because there was all these signs all over the cages that said uh you know you lose a finger you you know if you stick a finger in the cage you'll lose it and i wasn't planning to stick a finger in the cage but just the idea that i was going to lose a finger just made me a little standoffish so i didn't get too friendly with the parrots but anyway they're cool looking birds what's the point of going to that place if the i think they usually talk Oh, they usually talk. But it was like 120 degrees out, and oh. they, were, they were just kind of like... They are like, fuck this, I'm yeah. not talking today. <laughs> they are just sitting in the shade like... That's what it's like to live in Arizona, though. There yeah. are days where it's like, you know what, I can't do... I literally cannot do talking today. I can't do breathing today. It is too hot. Yeah. Going out on the surface is during the summer at all. It's just not agreeable. And I really like... Going outside, like I try to hike at least a, once or twice a week during the summer. Not happening. You can't even hike at 5 a.m. It's it's 100 degrees at 5 a.m. It's ridiculous. I really like that you called it going out on the surface because it made us sound like we're underground vault dwellers on another planet. And that 
was euphoric for me, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I, into a past life. Definitely don't recommend going out without your EVA suit on because it's oof. radioactive as fuck out there. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. So these parrots were like, fuck you guys. I'm not having any conversation. So it was not as eventful as we might have hoped, but I did not lose a finger and I'd learned don't mess with parrots because they're big. Well, the good news about the witch requiring that story from you um, in order to lift the curse is that it's a perfect segue into my first story, which is about what happened at Andrew Jackson's funeral. Do you know what happened at Andrew Jackson's funeral? I don't. I can guess that there was like nice things said about him. I mean, in spite of him maybe not being the nicest guy. So I assume there was a casket with him in it with old Stonewall. I, I'm not a historian and of, of I'm not a historian. I was just there, but like Yeah. I was I, I am that old. I'm old enough that I could have been there, but I'm yeah. you chose not to attend. Yes. <laughs> you had other plans. In, in protest. <laughs> in protest. I was not a big fan of the the whole trail of tears thing. Yeah. Fuck you about that, Andrew Jackson. And about a lot of other things. But anyway, we're gonna talk about something silly that happened to his funeral. So you basically did set the scene correctly. You know, he was in a casket. There were some people. They said some nice things. But then uh, something happened. And I was just, before I tell you what happened, I'm curious, have you ever been to a wedding or a funeral or like a christening or some shit where somebody just did something out of pocket, totally inappropriate? Uh, I was at a banquet for work and one of the other attorneys from a law firm and one of the other attorneys there, there was a wedding going on at the same hotel that the banquet was at and one of the attorneys there tried to kiss the bride <gasps> at the wedding and it started it caused a commotion <laughs> understandable holy shit does he have a history of doing this kind of thing no he would just saw himself as a real ladies man he was like a new associate Whew, it was not he just got drunk and then i guess was feeling bold <laughs> that's horrible if he's listening I'm judging him hard. Andrew Jackson's funeral had something disruptive happen during it as well, but it did not involve a person. It involved a parrot, which is why oh. I thought it was interesting that you had happened to go see a parrot before coming to record this. So Andrew Jackson was the seventh president of the United States. As Jonathan mentioned, he was the guy behind the Trail of Tears which uh, if you don't know what that is, that could be an episode of No, That Really Happened, but in like a not whimsical kind of way, like a really horrifying and awful kind of way. Did he do anything good that you can remember? Anything that we should care about? He's on the $20 bill. I remember in third grade, they told us he was very informal and would answer the door to the White House in his bathrobe or to the presidential residence in his bathrobe. So that's kind of funny. That but, is I mean, silly. I, I would not have expected that from this dude, but I guess in kind of like a toxic hypermasculine way maybe that makes sense <laughs> like opening the front door with your robe flapping and whatever <laughs> i'm not gonna say anything else about andrew jackson so it's not really it's not really germane to the story i take it, it it's it, not yeah um what really matters about the story is that he died and something happened at his funeral and he died in nashville tennessee and his funeral was on sunday june 10th 1845 about three thousand people attended his funeral um he was a former president so i guess that makes sense the funeral was held in Tennessee at his home, the Hermitage, the Hermitage. I don't, he probably didn't pronounce it like that. Can't imagine that he did. He, I mean, he probably would have been flattered, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 
Andrew Jackson also was married, and at one point in time, he bought his wife an African gray parrot named Paul, according to the Tennessean. But when the first lady died, the parrot ended up spending a lot of time with him in the Oval Office and around him in his home and his office, and apparently soaked up some of the president's um, more choice vocabulary, which the one thing that I do remember from school about Andrew Jackson is my teacher saying that he was like, he was like really like coarse. He spoke like with really coarse language. Like he swore a lot and he had like no sense of formality when he spoke to people, which is probably tied to the whole <laughs> bathroom situation. <laughs> so you can imagine, first of all, I don't know why they brought this fucking parrot to the funeral. I don't know why someone was like, Andrew Jackson has died. Everyone who loves him is coming to pay their respects. We need to include this parrot in the proceedings. Well, I mean, the parrot needed closure. <laughs> the parent needed to see the dead body in order to like understand that his owners were both Probably. gone maybe yeah i mean <laughs> the guy that taught me all the dirty words i know is dead i mean it's kind of like a father dying or an older brother <laughs> i mean i guess i still think it's weird that they brought this parrot to the funeral but basically what had happened was and i will read this direct quote from reverend william menifee normand who wrote before the sermon and while the crowd was gathering, a wicked parrot that was a household pet got excited and commenced swearing so loud and long as to disturb the people and had to be carried from the house. Oh, well, did, did the parrot still live in the house? Yeah, I guess as soon as I finished that that quote, I was like, oh, they were in the house. That's why the parrot was there. So I can't really josh them too hard on that. I don't know what that parrot must have had something against Andrew Jackson. Because I feel like people who are the kinds of people that animals like, if an animal shows up at their funeral, it's like like Bernie Sanders with that sparrow. They they land and they do something cute. Or like a, a cardinal flies in and, and like sings a little song and then flies out. And you're like, oh, wow, this person really had a connection with animals. But then Andrew Jackson's animal heckles him. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe he, you know, once, his, once he, he had died, now like his... He, that, that like sealed all of his life's deeds and then maybe the parrot was told oh yeah he he was a he was a bad guy he did a genocide and then the parrot was like what i thought we were bros and it was, somebody woke was, that parrot up yeah <laughs> andrew jackson died and someone came to tell the parrot look paul i'm sorry andrew is dead yeah, yeah. and here uh, I just thought you would like to have this this book that I wrote of like everything that he accomplished. And the parrot's like, wow, thank you. And starts reading the book. And he's like, trail of what? He, well, and he might have, I mean, <laughs> the same, you know, metaphysical energy that that told the sparrow to go land on Bernie Sanders' microphone or whatever. Maybe he was tapped into that spooky, mm. spooky knowledge that a parrots get after their owner dies. So, yeah, a parrot named Paul swore aggressively throughout Andrew Jackson's funeral and kind of made a scene. How do you feel about that? The parrot's name was Paul? Yeah. I missed that. That's awesome. Why is there no information about where the parrot went afterward? Yeah, my, we should probably check there. I'm going to look that up right now. It, might be, it might be more important what happened to the parrot than it is what happened to Andrew Jackson. We don't know what happened to Paul after his indecent outbursts, but we do know that Jackson and his dirty bird mouth will forever live in infamy. 
<laughs> well, his dirty bird mouth. <laughs> Who wrote this? The dose staff. Okay, way to swerve responsibility for writing that sentence by attributing it to your entire staff. Yeah, we don't know what happened to Paul. Well, that's unfortunate. I'm on Paul's side and all of that. Yeah, I think Paul had every right to have that outburst, frankly. I would have. And now I'm wondering if Paul belonged to the to the witch that gave us the three requirements for this podcast. I'm suddenly so afraid. <laughs> I feel like I, f I feel like I'm going to be haunted by Paul for the rest of my life. I'm wondering if we're replacing the first curse with another curse. I don't know. I would. I let's move on. Next requirement. I don't know what. Do you? You really don't remember any of the requirements. You don't remember the second one. I so remember. Second. I think the second requirement. I don't remember the exact phrasing that she used, but it was something like, "I needed. We needed to like share an experience that would repulse us. Like we had to like share an experience of disgust, of like relief. Oh, like somebody keeping body parts in a desk drawer or something." Um, more like monks who like mummified themselves, like started mummifying themselves Mummies. Uh, when they were alive still. Okay. Okay. Um, this is, uh, terrifying if true would be my, my thought. If there's really mummies out there, I'm just going to tell you, if you're going to tell me there's mummies, I mean, obviously there's Egyptian mummies, but Egyptian mummies, first of all, not that many of them. All right. Like, really? Well, I mean, like, rel relatively know. speaking, like, I'm not worried about an army of mummies coming at me. Like, they're not mm -hmm. going to zombie horde. So I, I feel good about that. But you're going to tell me that there's mummies elsewhere. It starts to get more concerning. I have a lot of bad news for you. Uh oh. Actually, there's a lot of other kinds of mummies, and I'm really only going to tell you about one kind, and there's like hundreds of them. Have you ever thought about what you want? to happen to you after you die how you want to go or like how you want to i have not because i assume that by the time i die big pharma will own the rights to my body so i will just not have an, a say in the matter if i had a say in the matter i would uh it's t two things one i could be cremated and my ashes spread you know in the ocean or grand canyon or something somewhere in nature i just like think. generally outside or alternatively be preserved and somebody would put me up in there uh like vestibule uh and well i mean probably put me in storage for most of the time but then like around halloween put me out okay i have preferably questions. preferably posable i have several questions when you okay. say you want to be preserved do you mean like taxidermied yeah. or like in like a tube of some sort of oh, tube would be good but formaldehyde or whatever like yeah you, did you ever dissect cats in in biology in high school cats yeah cats they no what fucked up school did you go to that had you dissecting cats I, everybody I, else dissected like a frog a worm a rat the like ap classes dissected like a frog a pig heart or something but uh i dissected your school did a, not have funding is what i'm hearing i dissected uh, or frog. you were dissecting cats on your own time. No, no. I dissected a frog in ninth grade biology, but the uh, like older students in some other class that the biology teacher was teaching during another period had cats. And they were like... Where did you go to high school? Uh, oh, uh, in Utah. 
I only went to freshman year. Another story, but the. Continue. <laughs> I have so many questions and comments. But the, I mean, keep in mind, I'm 175 years old, so it's there's a lot of history there. But uh, anyway, the the point was the cats that they got were like the way that they had preserved them. They were like rubbery, so they were like posable. I mean, not really posable. Posable. As, <laughs> as if they were posable. That's disgusting. Continue. They they filled the arteries with one color of preservative and then the, the veins with another color. And then there were like three different colors in them. That's all I remember. I don't know. I didn't do the dissecting myself. I was, mm. I, I dissected a frog. <laughs> how did we get here? We're going to, I didn't mean, I ask you how you want to be dealt well, right, with I after wanted to, death. That's what I was, I was just oh. saying it's an option. So just oh, saying you there's want to be preserved the way those cats were preserved. Yes. You want to have your veins like if it would be entertaining. I mean, if it would make it, I just a good decoration. It would make someone happy. Yes, that would be. I don't think you. That's the issue, though. If you decide that that's how you want to go, you have to decide before anyone ever claims you as a decoration. Or uh, how or, are you gonna? Are you gonna have like a process before you die, wherein you like interview families that? I well, it depends on who's around. I keep my will that. updated. I can. Uh, I need to find the right person who wants that. But like I said, realistically, Big Pharma will own all of our remains by the time many like I die. So that's cool. So maybe, maybe what I'm about to tell you will actually appeal to you because in this way you could start preserving yourself and still oh. be conscious. You're gonna tell me how to become a mummy? Yeah, how to self-mummify yourself. Hell yeah. Yeah. So this is a Japanese word that I'm going to do my absolute very best to pronounce, but I cannot make any guarantees, so please be kind. Sokushinbutsu are a kind of Buddhist mummy. In Japan, the term refers to the practice of Buddhist monks who would um, essentially meditate themselves to death and enter a physical mummification state while still alive. Whoa. Yeah. So there is at least one self-mummified 550 year old corpse in existence that we know of for sure that is of a buddhist monk named sangha tenzin in the northern himalayan region of india um he's visible in a temple in gu village in oh i don't i don't know how to pronounce is it, it going to be a problem that i'm only five lessons in on my meditation app and i've had it for four years yes that is well it depends on how soon you're planning on dying because okay. if you want to meditate yourself to death you're going to have to get like a lot better at it probably finish the app finish the, the whole yeah thing. definitely finish the class the little course on the app I'm, for sure okay so this mummy was rediscovered in 1975 when the old stupa preserving it collapsed do you know what a stupa is uh no when i show you this picture i feel like you probably oh is it one of those like layered stone things it's that like the, that you see in like the japanese garden layered stone thing uh, like apparently a, not it's like a no <laughs> i don't think so um all different shapes and sizes oh it's like a tomb yeah whoa okay yeah that's those wow yeah no one's building you anything like this but they're like a, a monument that people will go to pray at and meditate at um the one in sedona has like a, a labyrinth that you can walk around and stuff and it's just like a peaceful location sort of like a buddhist monument a labyrinth a labyrinth yeah 
That's not peaceful to me. That's terrifying. Anyway, is, it's a it's not a David Bowie kind of labyrinth. It's like a meditation labyrinth. Have you never seen a no no Minotaur? Uh, no Minotaur. No, okay. no walls. Honestly. Oh. Yeah, it's like marked on the ground usually by stones or um, landscaping, and people will just kind of like walk it silently to meditate and then like walk back out of it. Oh, I've never seen yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. I'm only like I said I'm only on the fifth lesson in my app. I, right. You, yeah. I, like, I understand. To the mummification chapters. Yet. When you get to the mummification chapters, you'll learn about the, okay. the labyrinths as well. So they they rediscovered that 550 year old mummy in the stupa in 1975 when it collapsed and it's estimated to be from about the 14th century um and there are stupas like that all over india and japan that are just sort of like sites for pilgrims to visit and we're now pretty pretty positive that all of the stupas have one or more of these kinds of mummies inside them whoa yeah you just meditate so much that you turn into a mummy or you just meditate until until you like your dying breath, and then like I don't. I'm relating it to like self hypnosis, where uh -huh. you like hypnotize yourself into being a mummy. But I don't see how that works once you're dead. So yes, that is part of it. There's also a little bit more to it. So it's a whole process for becoming a Sokushin Butsu, um, which a monk would complete over the course of about three thousand days. Nine years. Nine. Yeah, Jesus, that's a long time. That's a long time to do what I'm about to tell you you have to do to become one of these mummies. So not only do you have to become really good at meditating and, and meditate all the time, you also have to adopt this very strict diet called mokujiki, which literally translates to eating a tree. The monk would abstain from eating any cereals, it says, so I'm assuming like grains and rices, and relied only on pine needles, resins, and seeds found in the mountains, which would eliminate all fat in the body. Increasing rates of fasting and meditation would lead to starvation. I think my brother's doing this except with Diet Dr. Pepper. <laughs> I don't think he'll have the same result. Well, okay, I'm going to tell you, you also, can't eat nothing but tree for, for nine years. That just seems... Apparently you can. I feel like part of it is in your during your nine years you like hire uh or, or train other monks to do stuff to your body after you're dead because how are you gonna how are you gonna eat a tree nothing but a tree for nine years i don't they did i don't know have you seen alone these guys go just eat whatever they can find for 80 days no and they're like starving to death like they're well yeah these they were starving to death but that's not it's 80 days this is not this is three thousand days even with meditation Look, i believe in the power of the mind but all i'm saying is that this podcast is called no that really happened because <laughs> it really happened the documentation is sitting right here i don't know how it happened i don't know why but it's it happened it's magic. So you <laughs> meditate a lot. You eat a tree, and you turn into a mummy. Like, does it make? Does it give give you eternal life or something? No, you just get the cool story of having died that way. I guess. Well, I mean, what do they? What do the people who do this enjoy as a result? That's a great question. I'm assuming that the purpose is that they would sort of come back and haunt people, and as a mummy. Yes, of course. We they knew that we would need that, but also 
they're trying to get like to the highest state of meditation, right? So like I'm assuming that they're thinking like the ultimate spiritual accomplishment, I'm assuming is why they do it because they want that to be their last experience of earth, of life, to ascend to like the highest realm. Relating it to Egyptian mummies, they were expecting in the afterlife to need all these certain things and they needed to be preserved, etc. And so that was like, it was for their their eternal eternal afterlife. Mm. This is just like the husk that's left over after they attain nirvana or whatever. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Like a cicada. Okay, so it's like if it's like if a priest never had sex, they would get to go to heaven. Yeah, I can but it doesn't problem. actually do any good. Like they, it's not like it's not helping anybody for them to not have sex. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know who it would be helping for for them to mummify themselves. They seem less likely to come back to life. That's all I'm saying. The Egyptians are planning to come back to life as mummies. And these guys, it seems like they're like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. So I'm less worried about hordes of... Uh, that. Yeah, that's really comforting. I hadn't thought yeah. about it like that. Because you're totally right that like Egyptian mummies are scarier because I, they are preserved with the with the idea, the intention behind them that like, oh, they're going to come back in that same body wreak havoc or something but these guys were like nah i'm good this is this is it for me i'm just like leaving this but i'll tell you what if they died and found out that it was not their their belief system wasn't right you know like they said the mormons are right or something after they died like mm -hmm. uh they might be real mad and then they might be like oh you better believe i'm coming back do you think if you can self-mummify you can self-unmummify i mean they could reincarnate back into the same body if they wanted to. Maybe I'm scared of these guys again. Well, they would be. They're they're all tree sap, so they would be more flat as more flammable. flammable. <laughs> but they, I feel like they'd be harder. Like like, Egy like Egyptian metal. mummies are really fragile. I always feel like they're real fragile. But they, these guys, yeah, they have, they have like bark. Yeah, dead ass. So the rest of this process, it says the monks would slowly reduce and stop liquid intake, thus dehydrating the body and shrinking all organs. The monks would die in a state of meditation uh, while chanting a particular mantra about Buddha, and their body would become naturally preserved as a mummy with the skin and teeth intact, without decay, and without the need of any other preservatives. Teeth and skin intact. Is this how they make aspartame? Elaborate. No, I did. I mean, no. like, are these mummies what aspartame is made out of? Yeah, like, did they? They've been tapping this resource. That's what I imagine aspartame does to you. So I was like, oh, actually, but I don't actually know. I just I have an, an inordinate fear of that particular chemical. It's not really rational. Well, you probably should be afraid of it because I talked to it and it said that it's gonna kick your ass. Well, so. My, that's okay. My is aspartame in the room with us right now? Maybe. <laughs> Can you describe what aspartame looks like? Yeah, very disquieting. But we did, we got we got mummies covered. I mean, for as far as the Halloween theme, we're checking mummies off. Yeah, we're definitely checking mummies off that list. <laughs> is that your subtle way of being like, I'm done talking about mummies. Let's move on. <laughs> no, I've, I've talked I've about mummies all day. Topic. I just, uh, I've, in fact, the more information we have about mummies, the better. The last thing I'll say is that there are many 
Buddhist Sokushinbutsu mummies that have been found in northern Japan and are estimated to be centuries old, while texts suggest that hundreds more of these cases are buried in the stupas in the mountains of Japan. So the stupas haven't been like opened because that would involve destroying the monument, but we're pretty sure that they're based on what the texts suggest from the time that there are. That is the worst fad diet ever is all I'm going to say. I mean, they look great, though. Okay, but... They got their teeth intact. You can't say that about... Oh, well, when I say worst, I guess guess it's quite successful. Don't get me wrong. What I meant by worst was that's a very difficult fad diet to follow. It would be very, very unhappy. Can you imagine if you went through like 1,500 days of it and we're just like, nah. Listen for Would your body ever come back from that? I mean, I'm sure you would have already gone into organ failure, but I, yeah. I mean, maybe not. So if you're, you're going to last another, you know, five years. Mm-hmm. The good news is that Emperor Meiji banned this practice in 1879. So there's a hard end date on more of those mummies being created. Assisted suicide, including religious assisted suicide, is now illegal. But I thought it wasn't assisted. I thought they did it. I thought it was auto suicide. This goes back to my part of the 3,000 days is recruiting somebody to to do shit to your body. <laughs> You're right. So it, it must be assisted in that way. You have to recruit someone to do all this shit to your body and like prepare the pine sap. Because eventually you get to the point where there's no way you can move. Yeah, your muscles would all be gone. Your body would have eaten them all. But the, the fact that it's referred to as an assisted suicide when like it's literally like it's self-mummification. So you're assisting yourself. It's self-assisted suicide, which is just regular suicide. Yeah, that would be the normal suicide. <laughs> it's there are a lot of laws on the books that make like many places, many jurisdictions make suicide illegal. I, how do you enforce that? They're dead. They're dead. Yeah. It's like I. It's, and then how awful? How how worried are they? Who just failed at a suicide attempt and be like, also here's a ticket. Yeah. For failing oh, a suicide I have attempt. a story about that, but it's probably not not great. But that. One of my friends represented a is a public defender and represented a guy who got a it got into a fight with his wife or his wife told him that she was leaving him and he was very distraught and he ran off into the desert behind their house with his shotgun, put it to his the to his chin attempt thinking he was gonna kill himself with it and fired, but he uh only blew his face off. And they revived him and then put him in prison or and then charged him with uh, a bunch of charges related to the weapon to it's it, wow everything. So he was facing like years in prison, uh, obviously lost his job. Uh, this is just that I feel like every day I hear a new story when I where I'm like, this is why men need to go to therapy because instead of shooting his own face off with a shotgun behind his house because his wife was going to leave him he could have gone to therapy and not gone to prison for trying to shoot his own face off well he wasn't trying to shoot his face off. he was trying to shoot <laughs> his therapy, but that's not what he was trying to do here so right. there's no mens rea for the shooting your face off thing but therapy is expensive and that's... there's not a lot of resources for it great so how do you feel about that story before we move on to the next one I, I'm undecided. I mean, I like the idea of meditating suicide by meditation in a way. I mean, I don't like the idea of any suicide, but I, I mean that that yeah, that that's like the cleanest. Like if you're, you know, 
just thinking about other people. They're going to find you and whatnot. Although there are, there were people who believe that any way of dying where your blood is, there's still blood in your body is, uh, dooms you to damnation because your blood has to be spilled in order for you to be, to atone for your sins and, and mortality. Who are these people? Well, blood atonement. Look it up. Is this a Mormon thing? Uh, yeah. Oh, well, oh it's not. Confidence. It's not purely a Mormon thing, but it's definitely a thing in the the early Mormon church. It was a thing. This is what I mean when I say that. Like, I thought growing up that Mormons were just like another, you know, Presbyterian, Baptist, whatever. But y'all got some fucking sci-fi. Blood atonement is a disputed doctrine in the history of Mormonism, under which the atonement of Jesus does not redeem an eternal sin. To atone for an eternal sin, the sinner should be killed in a way that allows his blood to be shed upon the ground as a sacrificial offering so he does not become a son of perdition. What? This is not that's, that's in any of the other stuff. Christian shit. <laughs> Just so you're aware, this is deep Christian sci-fi. Brigham Young did give a speech where he specifically said that that's why hanging was not uh, a, an appropriate way to execute somebody because it left their blood in their body and they couldn't atone for their eternity. Mm. Great. Awesome. Oh, that guy. Man, this is so interesting. I'm going to have to just read about this later. Okay, sorry for the tangent. <laughs> That's not a bad tangent. It's going to send me into a rabbit hole and that is phenomenal. But let's move on to my third story. Are you ready? Feeling good. I'm waiting with bated breath. What was that third thing the witch wanted us to, to do? Tell me, tell me a love story. Tell you a love story? Yeah. I guess this is a love story. Um, sure. Yeah, this is a love story if you're the kind of person who would do this. If you're not, then this is a really creepy, fucked up little little tale. But um, this is a story about Mary Shelley. Do you know who Mary Shelley was? No. So she was the author who wrote Frankenstein. Oh, I, I knew I'd heard the name before. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So Mary Shelley um, was the originator of the sci-fi genre by writing Frankenstein. The story is about her, but it's also sort of about her husband. I'll just go right into it. So her husband was Percy Bysshe Shelley, and he was just 29 when he drowned after his boat, Don Juan, was caught in a storm on July 8th, 1822. His body and those of his two sailing companions. Hold up. Wait, what kind of boat? The sailboat. It was so, yeah, he was like a trust fund kid. Okay, I'm just sorry. I just needed context because I, was, oh, yeah. I wasn't sure if this ship sinking was a gay or a, uh, yeah. I, I mean, the orcas, that's I, as far as the peace agreement that I would offer to the orcas, I would suggest that all yachts, we would, we no more yachts. No, we recycle all the yachts, like you take them out of the water, oh, recycle yes. them. Mm -hmm. And all of the residents or the occupants of the yachts, we, we feed to the orcas as chum and that's and then we can have peace otherwise i, I think a really important piece of it is the yachts though because orcas need mental stimulation so if we're just like feeding them the billionaires without like a fun game to play well they they'll need they'll need another we'll, outlet but out, they need, the, they need the boat as like the puzzle that they have to take apart before they can get to the billionaire because otherwise like that's just, that's, you know, a, a gifted and talented kid with not enough. Not um, enough challenge? Yeah, not enough challenge. We could, we could up the ante. We'll give the um, billionaires lifeboats. Middle of the Atlantic in lifeboats with a paddle. Not, I okay. mean, we're not, we're not monsters. That's a little bit of a challenge then. 
So are we deciding that it's a tragedy that that he drowned after his boat was caught in a storm? Well, let's see how his wife responded and we'll know if it was a tragedy or not. Great. His body and those of his two sailing companions were found 10 days after the sailboat was caught in a storm and they were only identifiable by their clothing. And Shelley had stashed a book of John Keats poems in his pocket. So that's how they knew it was him. John Keats being a rival poet or uh, just one of his favorite poets or like what? One of his favorite poets. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the weird part of this is that he was cremated after this, after they found him, but for some reason his heart wouldn't burn. Modern day physicians believe it may have calcified due to an earlier bout with tuberculosis, which means he had been just like living with a calcified heart. When was, how long was his body recovered before his body was recovered? 10 days later. I don't, I, I don't know if that's enough time to, for a heart to calcify after death. I feel like a, a heart that's calcified while you're alive doesn't keep you alive. <laughs> right. That's why I was saying he was just walking around with a calcified heart, I guess. Or he's a This vampire. is why this is on this podcast. Yeah, no, because it's not. I don't fucking understand how he had a calcified heart. I mean, if he was a vampire, it all makes sense. Do vampires have hearts at all? They, yeah, they, you got to stake them through the heart to keep them mm. dead. Oh, that's right. I was thinking, okay, I was thinking werewolf. So likely story that it was from an earlier bout with tuberculosis. This motherfucker's a vampire. Are you kidding? Yeah. It's crazy. I don't know. So his heart wouldn't burn. And originally Percy's friend Lee Hunt claimed the heart, which what? Why? Um, he was there for the funeral, which was a pyre style cremation. And he felt the right to keep the unscathed organ. It was eventually turned over to me. Oh, this motherfucker is definitely a vampire. That, yeah. Why do you think Lee has been like... They burned him and then his friend... Now, the question is, is Lee in his line vampire lineage? And so Lee is trying to help save him? Or is Lee know he's a vampire and trying to get the heart to make sure he gets staked? Separate it. Yeah. That's a great question. My instinct was that Lee is like a vampire hunter who's been like... Oh, yeah who through like sedition has been becoming Percy's friend. Like mm -hmm. he knew that he was a vampire and he was like, oh, I'm just going to wait for this motherfucker to die. Yeah. He's investigating him. It's, you know, yeah. Uh, on the deal. Cause you obviously can't let a vampire know you're investigating. Right. He'd kill you. Exactly. Or turn you. So he just waited for the opportune time, I guess, and showed up at the, I, it, it's interesting that the cremation was pyre style. Well, it was a, a pyre style funeral cremation. How else would a vampire be? No, this was in like the early 1800s. I can't, that seems like such a an, an old way to cremate people, like a Viking way to cremate people. Well, I feel like if if you're a vampire, you've creeped a lot of people out, and they're like, a lot of this motherfucker is creepy. Method. Let's uh, make sure we burn him in front of everybody so that everybody knows that he's gone. Wow, like they don't yeah. necessarily know he's a vampire, but they know he's cr something weird about him. And let's just make, make sure, sure this... for sure we'll all stand around and watch him. And then his fucking heart didn't die. Yeah. Can you imagine being one of the people? Yeah. Who had like voted for this. So then it. Lee's like, give me the heart. I'll take care of it. Cause he was going to go make sure it got staked. Mm -hmm. But then That's Mary, I'm sure it was like, what are you in love with my husband? What yeah. Like, no, it's mine. It's Plus mine. what if I need him to come back and haunt you? Do you think Mary knew? Well, I don't know what she'd do with the heart. So that's a great question because instead of burying it with the rest of his remains after the, the, the cremation, uh, his remains did get buried at a Protestant cemetery in Rome. Mary kept his heart and carried it everywhere with her for years. Yeah, she must have known he was a vampire. 
but she didn't like him. So but she, she was, didn't want him to come back. She, she wanted to be able to keep track. She was preserving the option to bring him back. Because all she has to do is go put his heart back in his sarcophagus or and he, he grows back, right? But so he's been turned to ash. Does she just have to place his heart back on the pile? He of hasn't ash? been staked, so he'll regenerate. Right, it can just regenerate. Damn, I'm learning so much today. I, I she had to have known. Because why else do you save a heart from I mean, that's weird. Especially and carry it around with you. It's like she knew there was something to that. She didn't want there to be any chance that someone else might like find it at home or whatever. Well, right. You don't want somebody else to bring him back because then you're doubly screwed because he's like, why didn't you bring me back? And whoever else brought him back would be like, oh, your, your freaking wife didn't bring you back. And I had to steal your heart to bring you back. Wow. I would watch that movie. Yeah. So <laughs> to watch the drama of him being brought back by someone that he didn't expect to be brought back by and yeah. his wife. Didn't do it. Yeah. So you Ooh. better believe you watch that. But she doesn't want to lose the option. She doesn't just she doesn't stake it because she doesn't want to lose the option to bring him back. He's presumably a powerful vampire. So you gotta figure I mean, that's useful. You know, you might need that, or at least the threat of it. Of you know, so that people don't mess with her. She can be like, Hey, I'll bring my vampire husband back and fuck you up. If you don't <laughs> if you don't publish my fucking book, yeah. I've got this vampire husband that I'll bring back. That's nuts. Okay, so uh, uh, there's a way that you could turn that into an amulet, so that you could have some. That's I'm, this is well. I mean, you could bring him back and have him turn you into a vampire. I don't want that. I don't know. Depends on what kind of vampire, because the, there's like new vampires basically get rid of all the downsides. What? Like Twilight style vampires. There's like they're like sparkly and shit. Like they're not. There's no downside to being a vampire. You're just like hot. Yeah, you're immortal. If, I, if that's the the style of vampire it is, it's like, a, I mean, they they eat like cattle blood or something. Yeah. Like they, they drink blood, but they they only drink like cattle blood. It's like, well, we eat meat. There's no drinking cattle blood. It's no worse than so there's eating There's really meat. no downside. Yeah, it's, it's. Uh, Except like losing all of your loved ones for the rest of forever. Well, outliving it unless you can turn him into a vampire. Maybe that's what, he, oh, maybe he said, hey, look, I'm a vampire. I, I don't want you to lose your mortality. But if anything should ever happen to me, just save my heart. I can come back. And then when you're getting near death, just bring me back and then I'll uh, I'll turn you into a vampire. We'll live happily ever after. I don't think he did that, though. I don't think that happened. I don't either. I feel like there's a darker thing here, but I feel like she's still definitely keeping the heart to bring him back if she needs to. Possibly. It says that in 1852, a year after she died, his heart was found in her desk and it was wrapped in the pages of one of his last poems called Adonais, which I looked it up and it is very long. But so it's called Adonais, an elegy on the death of John Keats. So he had that book of poetry in his pocket when he was found. When did, when did John Keats live? My new theory is he's both John Keats and himself, and he's a vampire, and he faked his death. He died of tuberculosis at age 25. John Keats did? Mm-hmm. And this guy died with a calcified heart. Uh, but maybe they were both vampires. They were vampire lovers. They were in love. They were for sure in love. That's vampire lovers for sure, and they thought Keats died of tuberculosis because he had a calcified heart, but he didn't. He just had a vampire heart. And Mary hung on to his heart, didn't allow his friend, what's his face, Lee Hunt, to take it because he knew that Lee was going to take him back to his lover. Whoa. Mm. 
this is some tea. Yeah, this is wow. There are vampires among us. This poem Proof. is extremely long. I'll just read the first, I guess, stanza of it. It's interesting that she had his heart wrapped in this. I weep for Adonais. He is dead. Oh, I weep for Adonais. Though our tears thaw not the frost which binds so dear a head. And thou, sad hour, selected from all years to mourn our loss, rouse thy obscure compeers and teach them thine own sorrow. Say, with me died Adonais. Till the future dares forget the past, his fate and fame shall be an echo and a light unto eternity. Holy shit. That is a vampire mourning his vampire lover. Till the future dares forget the past. His fate and fame shall be an echo and a light unto eternity. Oh, oh my God. This is a really sad story. Yeah, it's so sad. And Mary was keeping them apart too. Fuck this bitch. I don't care that she. Well, she there's guy. there's nothing she can do because John Keats is already gone because he's he's already been staked. Him. So do you bring do you bring back your your husband whose lover is actually gone forever and make him endure? So that's what it is. She's only going to bring him back if some there's some reason to bring him back that is worth him suffering, missing his lover forever. So he's in misery, but she figures, well, maybe I'll need to bring she's him back. She's not bringing him back because she loves him so much. And she doesn't want him to hurt anymore. Yeah. The love triangle. Wow. This is some tea. Somebody make this movie, please. See, I want to see this. I'm just saying our explanation makes way more sense than tuberculosis. So that's my last story, actually. I, that's all I got. So we got, we covered vampires, mummies. We covered ghosts. Vampires, mummies. Well, ghosts, we didn't really cover Paris. ghosts. Maybe we can. T yeah. Wait a minute. Was the parrot a lycanthrop? Is there a is there a parrot form of lycanthropy? <laughs> I'm gonna find out. A wear parrot, if you will. I found an artist on Deviant Art that drew something called Night of the Wear Parrot. Oh wow. Oh no, it's a it's a it's a <laughs> it's like a fan fiction. Bobby chirped. He gently brushed his beak against his hair, tickling and grooming her. He he he. You always know how to make a new situation good for both of us, huh? That reminds me. Last night, you didn't hurt anyone else besides those two alley thugs, did you? <laughs> Whoa. Motherfucker, what did I just stumble upon? A lot of a lot of issues. I'm not reading any more of this. Anyway. <laughs> we I can cover I, I I can tell a story about ghosts is what I can do. Oh great. But this is a real this is real shit. I'm using the term ghosts loosely because uh you know there's spirits and there's resurrected beings and uh so All of the above in this story. Before I get to the story, this is what I was taught as a as a child has come in much less useful than I thought it would as a child. Uh, but uh, if a being, an apparition appears to you, uh, it's instructions. So this is Joseph Smith taught all the members of the church. It's in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 129, I think, but don't quote me on that somewhere near there if you're looking for it. If a being or apparition appears to you claiming to be of God, then you're supposed to ask to shake its hand. If you ask to shake its hand, if it's a 
messenger from God that's a person that's a spirit that hasn't been born yet, that hasn't been born into a body yet, so it's just like unembodied, it will just refuse to shake your hand and say, sorry, I can't shake your hand. And then it'll tell you whatever it came to tell you and it'll leave. If it is a resurrected man or woman, a person who has lived on earth and died and been resurrected, then it'll shake your hand and you'll feel its hand, its flesh and bone. And if it is a evil spirit, then it will attempt to shake your hand because evil spirits have to try to deceive. And you will, your hand will pass through it because it doesn't have a body. And then you will know that it's an evil spirit and you can cast it out in the name of, of God. Wow. So that's the, that's the deal. And I can't believe no one ever prepared me to meet us. Right. Now you're like, I never knew that. Now that's going to come in. handy. And as a kid, I was pretty sure that that would be a useful thing to know. I just also need to comment. This is another one of those things that is Christian sci-fi because no, I, in none of my church teachings, did anyone ever teach me what I would need to do if I ever bumped into a spirit? Well, well that's, that sounds like a problem with the curriculum, frankly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, a little bit of an oversight there. But it sounds like you're about to say that you haven't had to deal with. Well, I haven't, not as often as I thought. Yeah. I, you know, based um, on how earnestly it seems they taught you these lessons. Well, I mean, God had a lot of things He could reveal. I mean, to 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 humans, uh, He obviously only revealed the most important ones. And I mean, who am I to judge? But I will say that, you know. If that same section had instead been like cure for cancer or um, like a way to to create food, like to produce more food so that people wouldn't starve, or a better a better form of uh, distribution than capitalism, or uh, I mean, I just feel like there's a lot of things in there. You could argue that he revealed communism, uh, which is a better form of distribution than capitalism, uh, if you believe in that. This podcast is. So I was going to say, I don't, I don't mean to imply that that's true, but if that's what you believe, then uh, that you know that is what the scriptures say. So, um, the scripture does support it. Yeah. In any event, so far, not encountered as many apparitions as I thought I would. That's disappointing. Yeah, a little. I, it's uh, it's a little disappointing. And you have to think. I mean, am I not worthy? Am I not worthy of being deceived? Does not even Satan want to send somebody to lie to me? I mean, do you feel unworthy to meet a spirit? I hope you don't. You are very worthy of meeting a spirit, Jonathan. I hope you know. Well, I oh, hope you meet a nice spirit someday. Let me tell you the story of Joseph Smith meeting his first. Uh, well, I don't want to say spirit, but apparition. Mm. This is. Again, I don't want anybody to to think I'm banging on Mormons at all. I, I love them fondly. Straight out of, off of the church's website, the Joseph Smith tells us about he when he met the first apparition. He was let's see, it's 1823. Oh, I guess this wasn't his first. So officially, three years earlier, he met God. That's. That's, that's that good. Big. That seems that's good background information for this story. But this is the testimony about where the Book of Mormon comes from. Different. 
Okay. I just had to correct that because God and God and Jesus had appeared to him three years earlier. It's the 21st of September, 1823, which I have been told, I don't know if that's reliably, that that happened to be Rosh Hashanah uh, that year. That happened to coincide. What was the date? Uh, 21st of September, 1823. Okay, Rosh Hashanah, uh, September 5th, 1823. September 5th through 7th. Okay, so uh, not Rosh Hashanah, although it's not horribly far off, but... So it's wrong. Yes. <laughs> That's all right. It's not it's not horribly important, but I'm gonna read this because I don't want anybody to to accuse me of making it up. Mm -hmm. Not that it sounds made up, but uh on the evening of the twenty first of September, eighteen twenty three, I betook myself to prayer and supplication to Almighty God. While I was thus in the act of calling upon God, I discovered a light appearing in my room, which continued to increase until the room was lighter than at noonday, when immediately a personage appeared at my bedside, standing in the air, for his feet did not touch the floor. So it was like sci-fi movie style appearance, where like there's like a, a tube, like a, a beam of light comes down and then expands. I just thought that, I thought that was a nice detail. Um, I'm glad they included it. It really paints the picture. So he had on a loose robe of most exquisite whiteness. It was a whiteness beyond anything earthly I had ever seen, nor do I believe that any earthly thing could be made to appear so exceedingly white and brilliant. His hands were naked and his arms also a little above the wrist. So also were his feet naked, as were his legs a little above the ankles. His head and neck were also bare. I could discover that he had no other clothing on but his robe as it was open so that I could see into his bosom. So, bathrobe uh, only, no clothes on underneath. Wow. So wait, what year was this? 1823. It's Andrew Jackson hadn't died yet. No, he hadn't. No, that would have been cool. Yeah. No. Well, <laughs> plus you were also connecting the open robe thing. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. I mean this, let me, let me do the next paragraph. I want to come back to this, but I, I think we need a little more context. Okay. He called me by name and said unto me that he was a messenger sent from the presence of God to me and that his name was Moroni. So here's the thing. He's wearing a bathrobe or just a robe. And that tells me that either he will, God like woke him up in the middle of the night and was like, Hey, you got to go tell Joseph. Uh, or he woke up in the middle of the night and remembered he had told God he was going to go tell Joseph this thing and was like, Oh, poop. I better. <laughs> he wouldn't, have, he would not have said shit. He would not have said shit. Of course. Yes. I better go. Uh, deliver that message, and he, like, there's no time to waste. He just grabbed his robe, pulled it on, boom, got it, got in. The in. Teleporter. Yeah, got in the teleporter. And so that's one possibility. The other thing is, maybe he just voluntarily, like, he just hangs out like that to show off his cum gutters. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and which is he's entitled. Like, you're, if you if you're gonna be an eternity and have look a, like that like, yeah if you're joseph a even form. said that his whole personage was glorious so. right that's what i mean like he wore that guy he must have been he hot spent his time in the gym if you yeah. know what i mean what else are you going to do in heaven so you might as well show it off and i don't i there's no judgment at all that's like i'm totally fine with that i, I don't mean that to be down on this way he just yeah lives like that but it's disturbing if so if he just forgot like i get that we're all uh you know humans are immortal beings and we make you you know forget stuff and if i i have who of us has not had a deadline that we suddenly remembered in the middle like yeah woke up and we're yeah. like oh that paper is due 
or whatever. Oh shit, I have to go make that prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And so I sympathetic. If it is because God didn't give him any more notice than that, that's just it's impolite. Yeah. That's all I'm gonna say. And I mean I'm not I mean you would hope that God has his shit together better than that, has like a bullet journal or like an assistant. Uh concerning. But anyway. So Moroni gives him this message and and just pieces out or yeah. So he says uh he just came from talking to God. Oh no, he came from the presence of God. So yeah, he either hangs out like that all the time or he got woken up, grabbed his robe because, you know, God was calling him, ran to the presence of God, and God was like, hey, message for you to deliver. So anyway, um, he's so he says, I, I was literally just talking to God, and you are going to be famous. He says, God had a work for me to do, and that my name should be had for good and evil among all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. So he says, I, ju I just was talking to God. You're going to be famous. For being good and evil. Yeah, and notorious, I guess. Sure. Um, that's good in its own way. You know, girls like a bad boy. He said there was a book deposited written upon gold plates, given an account of the former inhabitants of this continent and the source from whence they sprang. He also said that the fullness of the everlasting gospel was contained in it as delivered by the savior to the ancient inhabitants, this continent being the North American continent and the ancient inhabitants would not be the people that Christ uh, you know, lived among and appeared to after his death and resurrection. So that's that's big news. It's interesting that the first thing he said was, you're going to be famous, though. Yeah, we needed to get his attention. I guess that's fair. Two stones in silver bows, and these stones fastened to a breastplate constituted what is called the Yerman Thummim, deposited with the plates. And the possession and use of these stones were what constituted seers in ancient or former times, and that God had prepared them for the purpose of translating the book. So Lyra's like, these stones that are prepared for the purpose of translating the book. Again, he told me that when I got these plates of which he had spoken, for the time that they should be obtained was not yet fulfilled. I should not show them to any person, neither the breastplate with the Yerman Thummim, only to those to whom I should be commanded to show them. If I did, I should be destroyed. While I was conversing with me about the plates, the vision was opened to my mind that I could see the place where the plates were deposited. And that's so clearly and distinctly that I knew the place again when I visited it. After this communication, I saw the light in my room begin to gather immediately around the person of him who had been speaking to me, and it continued to do so until the room was again left dark, except just around him, when instantly I saw, as it were, a conduit open right up into heaven, and he ascended till he entirely disappeared, and the room was left as it had been before this heavenly light had made its appearance. Now, uh, he would have shared his room at that time. They were not a wealthy family. And he would have shared his room with his brothers, at least two or three. In fact, as I uh, understand it from church history, there were like, he had several brothers and there were two beds in the room and he shared the bed he was in with at least one or two of his brothers. So they didn't see anything. That's neither here nor there. Obviously but, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but it, he doesn't mention them here. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the light was not, didn't bother him. They were deep sleepers. They didn't hear but, any of it. But um, just to clarify, they didn't, as far as we know, did not see any of that. Mm -hmm. But I do like that the he actually got to see through the like. Yeah. I I have it imagined as one of those. Uh, do you remember those like uh, pneumatic tubes that they used to use at various uh, like banks and things? You you yeah. you put like your license and your checkbook, like your check in the the little canister and close yeah. it and put it in the tube. 
I imagine like that, except for people, like yeah. you deposit. Yeah, and I totally see it. Anyway, he goes back up to heaven, and then the account of Joseph continues. He did not yet know at this time to ask to shake his hand. Mm. If he had known, presumably he would have, and Moroni would have shaken his hand, and he would have felt his body of flesh and bone because Moroni said he was resurrected. So like but, a good Zambi. Yes. Great. He commenced and again revealed the very same things which he had done at his first visit without the least variation, which having done, he informed me of great judgments which were coming upon the earth with great desolations by famine, sword, and pestilence, and that these grievous judgments would come on the earth in this generation. Having revealed these things, he again ascended as he had done before. So this reads to me like, have you ever called and left a voicemail for somebody? And then you, you hang up and you realize, oh, crap, I forgot. So you call back, but now you're not sure if they're going to get the prior message or not. So you just sort of repeat everything again, and then you add the part that you forgot. The only thing is, he says the, without the least variation. So I don't know if it makes me think he was sending like a voice message, like he recorded it and then sent it. Because he was able to repeat it exactly the same. Yeah, because you wouldn't repeat it exactly the same, right? You no. would, you would, and he memorized it. But he didn't. He just came from God, who was like, "Hey, I got a message for you to deliver to Joseph." And he was Maybe like, was "Okay, like, I'll get on." Like it. several years ago, God was like, "Look, here's a script. I need you to memorize this. I don't know when you're going to use it. It's just going to be." You're right. Like a memorized lesson. So it's like, "Hey, give him lesson at one." Except that there's really not another use for this. This, this is, the is only, really the only one that this happened to. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because if Joseph had then known to ask to shake his hand, like one of the options in that section 129 isn't, oh, it may be a recording who will, right. right. You wouldn't, he presumably it wouldn't respond. Yeah. Unless it was a magic recording. Okay. Seems like a major oversight that they didn't include the rules for interacting with spirit recordings. But anyway, what was my surprise when again I beheld the same messenger at my bedside and heard him rehearse or repeat over again to me the same things as before and added a caution to me, telling me that Satan would try to tempt me to get the plates for the purpose of getting rich. This he forbade me. First visit is just apparently the first recording. Second visit, he adds the, the thread of destruction that's about to come upon the earth. Third visit, he adds the threat if he tries to get used the plates to get rich, he's going to be in trouble. Not clear to me why that would happen that way. So he he gets up uh, after that and goes to work, doesn't go to the place where the plates are. He gets up and goes to work. Hmm. And that's not what I would have done. It reminds me of the one of my friends who grew up, never missed a day of school. Mm. And he would, even when he had a perfect excuse, it would be like, dude, you can just, he never skipped. This is Joseph wanting to not skip as well. Yeah. Or maybe, okay. Or maybe he's just like, well, the plates aren't going to get me rich. I better go to work. I don't know. That's fair. Still need to pay rent. And my father, who was laboring along with me, discovered, okay, so maybe he goes to work because it's like, dad's going to kill me if I don't show up for work again. Um, discovered something wrong with me and told me to go home. I started with the intention of going to the house, but in attempting to cross the fence out of the field where we were, my strength entirely failed me. And I fell helpless on the ground and for a time was quite unconscious of anything. The first thing that I can recollect was a voice speaking to me, calling me by name. I looked up and beheld the same messenger standing over my head, surrounded by light as before. He then again related unto me all that he had related to me the previous night and commanded me to go to my father and tell him of the visions and commandments which I had received. 
I had obeyed. I returned to my father in the field and rehearsed the whole matter to him. He replied to me that it was of God and told me to go and do as commanded by the messenger. I left the field and went to the place where the messenger had told me the plates were deposited. And owing to the distinctness of the vision which I had had concerning it, I knew the place the instant that I arrived there. He goes to get the plates. Having removed the earth, I obtained a lever, which I got fixed under the edge of the stone and with a little exertion raised it up. I looked in and there indeed did I behold the plates, the Yerman Thummim, and the breastplate as stated by the messenger. I made an attempt to take them out, but was forbidden by the messenger and was again informed. So the messenger appears, I guess, the fifth time now. I know. I just told you all about them, and I told you to come get them, but you can't. Yeah, he's like, no, no, no. What the fuck? I mean, what the frick? I think you can swear you're not an angel. Uh, I mean, you you could you could be an angel, but I just mean, like, you're not yet an angel. Like, you're. I don't know how to explain it. That's it. <laughs> Now it seemed like it was mean, but I didn't mean that to be mean at all. <laughs> I just meant you don't have the same strictures as an angel would. I thought I did. <laughs> I did it out of out of respect for any Mormons who might be listening to this part of the podcast, out of you know interest in history. Well, I, I think they probably would have stopped listening to this episode about fifteen seconds in. For the record, Mormons should definitely listen to this episode. Uh, hopefully, they will enjoy their uh, their beliefs being celebrated. Uh, and also billionaires, for that matter. Uh, we might have made some comments about them being fed to orcas. We might have made some comments about that seemed anti-billionaire, but we're very pro-billionaire, particularly oh, yeah. if any pro-billionaires want to buy this podcast. Yeah, for sure. Um, any of them want to pay my bills. And definitely enjoy this podcast. Yeah. Everyone should enjoy it. Vampires. Uh, mummies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a AI overlords. Whoever may be pharmaceutical execs, angels, we, zombies, really wide net. I think the universe knows better than to send me a, an apparition or a spirit. Cause I think if, if a, if a man with an open robe appeared to me in my home at night, I would just hit him as hard as I could What in the face. Are you, are you kidding? He's like, I mean, he's not just like a thug. Like he looks like great and he's there and he's warm and you, you would immediately be fearful, but then you, your fear would soon leave you. If a, it doesn't matter how, I mean, I don't, who knows? Who's on your laminated list? <laughs> Not Moroni. Well, maybe he should be, but my point is. Because he could appear at any time, and all these other fools are restricted by cars, planes, and trains. Yeah. Moroni, what are you doing in my house? <laughs> you have a message for me? Or like, you just wanted to see me? So what did he do with these? He wasn't allowed to. Well, so anyway, he wasn't allowed, yeah, he wasn't allowed to take him. So he, he goes back to that location every year for four years. And then Marana's like, nah, not yet, every time. And then the, finally on the fourth year, he gets him. So Joseph has a side gig as a treasure hunter. Uh, sure, normal, yeah. Same. Which I get was a thing at the time. Uh, <laughs> and anyway, he gets the plates and all this and this and he buries with it uh, these seer stones that are for, that were prepared for translating it however they don't get used to translate it instead what happens is he hides the plates and the seer stones somewhere else but the urim and thummim the breastplate with the the like mm. sort of eyeglass looking things uh loosely he hides those elsewhere and he sits behind a curtain and puts this like river rock into a hat. And you can look this up if you want to see a picture of it. He puts it in a hat, puts his face in the hat, 
and reads the words off of the stone that are made to appear to him, like that appear to him. And then his friend who's on the other side of the curtain writes down what he says and then reads back what he's written. And then if it's right, then he reads the next line. And that's how the Book of Mormon was translated from the plates. So the plates are hidden somewhere. Yes. And he's not looking at them. Right. He is looking at a rock inside of a hat. Yes. And that is streaming to him what is on the plates. Yes. God works in mysterious ways. I'm just saying it's not clear why all the fuss over actually burying physical plates with a record on them and uh, stones, Urim and Thummim, to translate those plates from their language to English mm -hmm. because neither those stones nor the plates were actually in attendance when he translated. I feel like there's ways of getting that message to him that are way less like yeah, labor-intensive. streamlined. God's logistics needs a little, a little help, I think. It's, it's ineffable. We'll just say that. But Ineffable. <laughs> For whatever reason, not involved, neither the translation device, the Urim and Thummim, which is, that's a term actually from the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So this is all, this is like borrowed from other traditions. Judaism. You can say from Judaism. I, well. <laughs> you can say the word Jewish. <laughs> I guess it's not a bad word. <laughs> he just throws up his hands. No, I don't. I I don't know anything about it, so I don't. I didn't want to attach it to anybody in particular. Anyway, that it, that is a story of either a ghost or a zombie, depending on which uh, variety of undead you prefer. This isn't like a version of it that somebody like twisted to make it seem funny. This is like you know read it off their website. Yeah. It's and uh, it's to the uh, you know that actually happened. Yes, he actually had a stone in a hat, read words to his friend who wrote it down. I loved that story. Thank you for sharing it. <laughs> we check off the boxes. So we got ghosts, we got mummies, we got zombies, sort of resurrected beings. We covered them all. I think that witch will probably let us go now. I feel like we've done our part. Without having to spill our own blood. <laughs> Well, I don't know that we committed any eternal sin. No, I'm glad that you brought this story. I'm glad that we got to talk about ghosts and zombies and mummies and shit before Halloween. I feel I feel ready to start spooky season. Do you uh, feel ready? I am so ready. I can't wait. It's the best season. And that's the end of the episode and the end of season one of No That Really Happened. Thank you so much for joining me in this goofy little passion project and keep an eye out for season two of No That Really Happened. I see you shiver with anticipation.